You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience here at Conservative Review on this fine Friday, June the 7th. And yes, it is the end of the week. We usually have free for all Friday where we tie up all the loose ends from various different policies we didn't get a chance to address. But today, as promised, we're going to have our second special show with Victor Avila, the ICE HSI agent who was almost killed and his partner was killed by Zetas cartel members after he was sent on a dubious, unsafe mission up a highway controlled by the Zetas to pick up random cargo. Um, Lots of questions about that. Uh, He related to us on Tuesday, and if you go back, it's episode 425. You want to hear it if you didn't hear it until now. You want to listen to that first before today's episode uh, 428. But the thing is, what happened afterwards was a bigger deal. He told us the riveting story, just the the um, the emotions that would affect a person for their lifetime going through something like that. You know, just even on a personal level, without being a special agent for the federal government and the national security implications. But then, what happened afterwards? You know, that we know that this was part of the gun walking scandal. We know that. Um, the Zetas purchased these very weapons that killed Jaime Zapata and almost killed Victor on that February 15, 2011. They purchased them from straw buyers in Texas under surveillance of the ATF. The relevant federal agencies, including his agency, ICE, knew about it. And yet, you know, disregarding all normal policies and protocols about transporting you know, equipment anyway, but certainly in this area, they rushed them to do this. And then he became an inconvenient survivor. And they pushed him out, didn't help him with all the logistics. Remember that um, his whole family had to be evacuated that day. No preparation. Their whole lives were upended. So you would think, you know, the government would do everything they can, treat him like a hero. No, I mean, he had to fight for every logistical reimbursement, even to take a medical retirement. He had to get a congressman involved, certainly didn't get full retirement. Um, he was treated like a pariah rather than a hero. He's an inconvenient survivor. And to, to me, before we bring on Victor, what this represents in general is that all Americans who don't want anything from government who just want government to uphold its end of the social compact, protect us from enemies domestic and foreign, and we'll take care of our lives on our own. We don't matter if we're not part of a protected class. Oh, and by the way, if you happen to be of immigrant background, Latino heritage, and you love America and want to protect America, and you don't want to agitate against America, well, then you don't count as a protected class either, and you're you're also expendable, an inconvenient person. And the thought that I want to lead into is 
watching the last couple days since uh, we had Victor on the first time, every single time an illegal dies on the way to custody, in custody of Border Patrol ICE at the border, there's a massive investigation. There's transparency. There's all sorts of information put out. <laughs> they put out an entire timeline on the last one. Even though there's, you know, as tragic as any death is, there's there's nothing to investigate. It's obvious when you have hundreds of thousands of kids coming up in the worst circumstances who are already often from areas that don't have sanitary conditions and they're locked in trailers in, in 100 degree heat by the smugglers. Well, yeah, I mean, it's actually a miracle that more people don't die. I mean, there's nothing to investigate. But nonetheless, again, they are every this is a country of by and for foreign nationals. Americans don't matter. American law enforcement doesn't matter. Yesterday, we spoke about on our D-Day special how our military grunts don't matter and are sacrificed on the altar of political correctness. But somehow, when you have a Mexico Benghazi, which is what it was, where the, 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 the question of why they even did this, why they were asked to do this, then once we find out it's part of the gun running scandal, there was no investigation there was no desire to even find out what happened man it doesn't make sense so before i chew up our time i don't want to chew up any more time victor welcome back to the show boy have you elicited a lot of strong reactions thanks so much for joining us again thank you thank you dan for having me back i appreciate it so much sure i mean i I just can't get off of this so I, i just want you to just just really briefly rehash are you telling us that despite all of these crazy circumstances, as a federal agent, the first federal agent to die in service in Mexico since that DA agent in 1985, and they didn't really do a full investigation and even debrief you on the details as the only survivor? None, none whatsoever. Um, as protocol and standard operating procedure, it is just automatic that an internal investigation, despite whatever other criminal investigation might exist. In this case, FBI took the lead. Um, that was the only interview that I did was with the FBI just to tell them what happened in the shooting. But ICE or DHS or especially DHS OIG, Office of Inspector General, which to this day, eight years later, I've been wanting them to conduct an, a full investigation, uh, an internal investigation as to the as to the prior prior to the shooting, the actual shooting and the aftermath is so important. All three aspects of them, because what was happening happening in Mexico before the shooting is very important. Because I think that ultimately that's what led to to losing a, an agent in the line of duty because of uh, a lot of incompetence that I I think happened with my ICE supervisors, uh, a lot of other issues. Uh, People asked about this equipment. Well, why was it such a uh, importance to have it there the following day? I don't know the I don't know the complete answer to that. Uh, I just would have I, I've heard that I've been told is that there was an operation that they were uh, my other coworkers on this different case. This case, by the way, what the equipment belonged to was a big, big mon- money laundering case. Um, it was an operation that. Uh, stemmed from our office in Colombia, and then Mexico got involved because of a like a forty million dollar cash seizure in a container, 
And that brought our office into the investigation. And now my supervisors were, were just, you know, to say another word, just gaga over this and, and just lost track of everything else because of the glory, I think, of this case, which you think about it is so elementary and so um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But they ignored everything else. They ignored the security issues. As I, as I told you uh, the other day, my uh, the deputy assistant attache, he said he wasn't aware of any security issues in Mexico. The whole country of Mexico is a critical four, uh, according to the State Department, just like Afghanistan and Iraq and those type of countries. And for him to say that statement, it just goes to show their their state of mind was somewhere, somewhere else during this assignment. And there was uh, this equipment was going to be used for something they had set up, which is also kind of a violation in our office. There was no ops plan. We always did an operational plan. We a handwritten operational plan. Anytime we had to do some kind of these uh, operations or send out an mission, none of this was afforded to me. There was no backup and there was no uh, either from uh, other U.S. officials or from uh, the Mexican federal, federal police, we used to have them as, uh, as escorts to take us and drive us, especially when we were going to drive on this highway, even though it was, uh, you know, already under alert by the State Department and the ambassador to not drive on Highway 57. And I would love to share that uh, that memo. I have it, that alert from the State Department that he that he issued. Yeah, yes. Just, please, uh, please, please send it to me and I'll put it in the show notes. Remember, send it to me after the show. Are, are you just to clarify, you're saying it's not just the generic State Department travel advisories to just, you know, uh, random Americans like me, you know, living here. Hey, just don't don't travel to this part of Mexico. It's it's even to agents working there. This is even to all U.S. personnel assigned to the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City. And uh, it's it beyond it, it. They send out these alerts when when now the intelligence that's coming in is so um, viable and that it, it, it would cause uh, danger to put any of uh, the personnel in, in these locations. And, and sometimes it's different locations in Ciudad Juarez and don't drive here, don't drive there. This one was specifically not to drive on Highway 57. Wow. And so I, I know I, I know that uh, people asked about. When when my wife showed up to work and, you know, uh, a diplomatic security agent just asked about me, hey, how's Victor? How's your husband? And she tells him he's uh, going to Monterey. He was he was just baffled. Like um, (laughs) no one's driving there. No one can drive there. What are they doing (laughs) on that road? And um, and so I didn't notify them. I was ordered by by my agency, which is kind of, you know, I, I have my chain of command through ICE. And then we had to some also follow the the rules within the State Department and the embassy because we're housed in there. And so we kind of have these two sets of rules to follow. But my my agency, ICE, refused to follow the, the orders of the State Department. I, I mean, I'm no intel guy, but even I know, uh, you know, years ago, I knew nothing about Mexico. Now I'm learning a little bit more. I mean, I'm just looking at a map right now. And this, you know, the situation with cartels ju- does change and it's even worse now. But you look at Highway 57 going up north of Monterey, it goes to Piedras Negras, that area. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's a CDN, a Cartel de Norestre. That's that's the break. I mean, now it's a break off of Zetas. Back then, Zetas were unified. I mean, everyone knows. I mean, no one could travel there. I mean, you got you got in these areas now. You you see CDN folks roaming around patrolling with 50 cal guns. 
Oh yeah, they 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 control uh, they control that area. They control a, a broader area now. You see them; they have marked units, marked cars with their initials on the door. Uh, they're, they're not; these guys are not uh, secretive or covert by any by any means. They're out in the open. They're terrorizing the community. That's why I, I I'm 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 helping to push the uh, this this uh, awareness that the cartels uh, and these criminal organizations are not just transnational criminal organizations as they're known right now. They are foreign terrorist organizations, and that's what they should be designated as to allow the government, our U.S. government, to uh, approach them enforcement-wise with a whole different set of uh, rules and and tools to bring these guys down and dismantle them uh, financially, freezing assets, anyone that contributes to them. You know that they, the, the main concern is the money. They want the money. So let's hurt them where, where it counts most is the money. Let, let's keep that from them and, and, and start Freeze the bank them. accounts, but, yeah. Yes, but we need to designate them as FTOs. And I know that there's a couple of congressmen already with legislation there because it goes through the State Department and then the Attorney General and this certain process to get them designated. And I'm all for that. I, I've, I've been for that for a long time um, to, to get them designated as that because so, it does open a, set, a, a new set of rules for us. So let me ask you this before, because I, I do want to get to the trial and I want to get to the gun running scandal, what was revealed and what we know and what we don't know. And, and that's certainly a big part of why they were very interested in covering this up, not finding out. Again, nobody was punished. No investigation was launched against any of your superiors. Um, that to Chase in, in uh, Mexico, in HSI's office, why they would push this. No internal review, no change of policies, much less anyone punished. Um so clearly the gun running had something to do with it because they didn't want that getting out and that's why you were inconvenient. But do you think just more generically, more general political, there was a, a part of this too, that they that our government, and you see to this day, but certainly under the Obama administration, had really very adamantly did not want to focus the public's attention on how dangerous the cartels are. That's very true. And 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 absolutely they uh it's it's nothing short of a cover up. I, I, through me personally, my l- lawyers have requested, you know, Freedom of Information Act request, um, written requests, you name it, all of them, officially, unofficially, letters, and all of them have been either denied or ignored, up until this day. Um, I had a uh, uh, we filed a lawsuit, uh, a civil lawsuit, uh, citing negligence, gross negligence, that didn't go anywhere. Uh, because we were in a catch-22, the U.S. District Judge wanted documents to prove everything that we were saying to sure. him, and and we're like, well, Judge, we can't get the documents because <laughs> they won't. Get, they're under a protective executive order from President Obama, the privilege. Oh my God! And we can't get them, and so we're in this catch-22. We can't get you the docs. And he was very, the judge was very sympathetic to did, us. Did, did you, yeah, yeah, it was it was Judge Andrew Hannon. Did, did you realize, yeah. Victor, that because I, I deal with the courts and immigration every day, just these cases, and I talk about it, um, illegal aliens and their surrogates every day sue the government, and when they should never get standing. And they always have disclosure. That's the whole thing. The judges say you have to cough up the docs. I mean, that's it's unbelievable. The one thing that uh, that's our that's kind of like the 
that's our process. That's our right. Discovery, right? We want to uh, discover all these documents. We want them in, um, in we want to review them. The, um, the documents that I have, uh, have been obtained through other channels. One was through the, the, uh, sky news documentary that they did. They were able to obtain some from the ATF and the gun walking, a uh, gun running operation out of Texas that links it to fast and furious out of Arizona. And uh, uh, I want I want to take this opportunity to kind of explain that because sure. Fast and Furious obviously started in Arizona, and and it blew up with uh, the murder of Agent Brian Terry. Well, it's important to know that Fast and Furious is just not localized there. It it spread in Nevada, all over a bunch of states in the United States because that was going to be their model type of investigative uh, uh, journey for the ATF which is almost unreal to, to I, I, I could, people that don't know anything about law enforcement and you tell them, they're like, how can you do that? Well, us within the law enforcement, you can imagine how we felt about what they were doing and letting guns walk back south into Mexico without any supervision whatsoever, other than getting them over there. And could, could you just I, briefly I, I, explain why, why, like just, just on the face of it, what was the initial thought? The initial thought was, well, we'll get the bigger fish. We will uh, identify the arms traffickers on the U.S. side, and this will lead us theoretically uh-huh. to the big organizations in Mexico that are the big arms traffickers. But we're not I, going I, after the cartels. Well, yeah, well, it, sound, it sounds great on paper, but the first person, as, a, as an agent that worked in Mexico in the embassy, the first person that, that I would contact was the host government, in this case, Mexico, and how about the Mexican customs to initially, I can see a highly sophisticated or uh, complex investigation to where, let's say we, we have a thousand AK-47s coming in from Arizona or Texas into Mexico. Let's have the Mexican government pick it up as a controlled delivery into Mexico, into a warehouse with the supervision of the U.S. government and the federal government into this big place and do a big takedown. I can see that I, 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 it, it, it can't be done, but that was never even attempted by ATF. They did the, the first part. They, they saw the, the, uh, the, the straw purchasers buy the, uh, the guns, the, the AK 47s, the automatic rifles in, in Arizona and in Texas, they saw them, they saw, they identified the arms traffickers that the straw purchaser then provided the, the, the guns to, and then they saw them taking them, to Mexico. And that was it. That was the end of that. When I became an agent, they, you know, you, you can't do that. You can't let drugs walk. I did a lot of controlled deliveries coming from Mexico into the United States, cocaine going from El Paso to Chicago. And you told me you lose the drugs, you lose your job. You just can't lose the drugs. If there's ever a, a jeopardy of losing the drugs, you take down the operation right then and there. So I can't even fathom uh, the other way around and letting guns go, knowing very well that these guns are going to go into the hands of criminal organizations. They, so, they supply them with these guns. And guns, by the way, uh, uh, Operation Fast and Furious guns have turned up all over the world, some in France. They're all over the place. It's not just in Mexico. And, and they've killed thousands and thousands of people in Mexico. Wow. And it is just the, the biggest botched uh, operation ever and of course we know how high level it, it goes to with with the attorney general holder back then 
Sure. And and who knows and who knows who else in the Obama administration. But and, and again, I just want to emphasize if our listeners don't remember from Tuesday, um, Brian Terry, who was killed by one of these AK forty sevens that were gun walked was killed December 14th, almost two months before, almost exactly two months before um, February 5th, so December 14, 2010, February 15th, 2011 is the incident with Jaime Zapata being killed and you were, you know, you being shot. Yes, yes. And, and um, so that, um, by the way, as soon as our shooting happened, the... The arms traffickers in Texas that were ha- had been identified by ATF months before and had multiple opportunities to arrest them and had them on gun charges, then, then immediately then they acted and went and picked them up. And then, and then some of these ATF reports are docked. They're, they're dated back uh, to where supposedly they were written months before when they were not. They didn't exist at that time. So all of those documents, we would like to get them officially. But um, even Judicial Watch has been so kind and to help me. And Judicial Watch said, well, let's approach it through the State Department, Victor. You never asked the State Department for uh, documents. Let's go that way. Okay. They, this is about, it started about two years ago. And Judicial Watch, I think, was under the impression that, you know, we're going to get them. That's what they do. They're experts at this. Um well, the first response from the State Department is initially we found over 1,500 documents. Because remember, I called, I, the, my first call from the suburban is into the embassy. And so there's, you can start from there. And the regional security office and all the phone calls and all the emails and all that, that documents that they have, we wanted them to show them to our judge. Well, it went, fast forward two years, it went from 1,500 documents to one. And Judicial Watch filed a lawsuit. They went before a judge. The judge ordered the State Department to turn over the documents. And all they did is continue the cover-up. And even Judicial Watch was very like, what the heck is going on here, Victor? This is a, uh, we cannot believe the pushback that we're getting wow. back. And I got one one document that's redacted. Um, and and so the, the cover-up continues. This, I would really love for it. Uh, President Trump to lift whatever uh, executive privilege President Obama imposed on all these documents, because it's just, it's also on the Fast and Furious and also on the gun walking operation out of Texas. And because of that executive privilege order, that's keeping us from getting any of this information. Even and, for Judicial Watch, who who, yeah. who who does that, you know, it's hard. It, it's been hard for them to get as well. And that's the thing. This is a new administration. You would think, look, this is a scandal under a previous administration. You should at least be able to, um, you know, get an investigation. Um, you know, we obviously talk offline and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get you to the right people. There has been a change in leadership more recently. Uh, wasn't that great even under Trump for the, for the beginning, but, you know, there's signs that some of that might be changing in some of these relevant agencies. So hopefully we'll be able to get get some, uh, you know, some more information, some closure on that. I want to move on to the trial. <laughs> um, if you could talk about just the timing, who they wound up catching, what the trial was like, what was discovered during the trial, all the way up until, you know, I had, you know, A, you know, just the individuals, who these people were, 
how it implicated our government in different ways and then up until the the actual sentencing yes the um there was a, a total of eight shooters identified well seven shooters and one that wasn't present and, and aiding and abetting the zeta cartel um we'll call them a cell there's a cell there they call them in spanish they call them estacas they it's a, a hit squad uh literally translated sicarios these, these, these hit squads that's all they do is they 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 kidnap people they uh assassinate people they're uh, they're sicarios they're assassins they deal in drugs they're that's what they do and this was the the cell that was there on highway 57 protecting that area that day it was uh they were all identified one was presumed dead all other seven uh shooters uh, defendants were extradited from mexico into the united states they all qualified for the death penalty but because of our treaty with mexico the death penalty was taken off the table and they were all looking at life in prison not only statutorily whoa whoa whoa, whoa. so if an american would have done this to an hsi agent he would have gotten the death penalty absolutely well uh, on paper and this is where this is where it uh, the government continues to fail us i think because uh sometimes i i wondered uh talking to our u.s attorney i i was confused as to what side the u.s attorney was on i i thought the u.s attorney <laughs> as a prosecutor was was gonna you know was kind of had Jaime's family and Jaime Zapata and myself as the priority, but it really didn't seem that way. And as a, as a prior United States probation officer, I worked in the United States court. So I had the advantage of knowing how that process works and how the sentencing guidelines are, are calculated. And so I didn't agree with how the, the, the process was going while I was still in DC in 2011, one of the defendants was brought in and pled guilty. And I was never notified. I could have gone to the court. Um, fast forward 2012, they uh, told me one of the defendants was going to go to trial back then. They brought me in to D.C. They sat me in the conference room. And the day before the trial was going to start, they said, Victor, there's going to be no trial tomorrow. This person is pleading guilty. And, um, and I tell them, it would have been nice to know that because I know you didn't come up with that that negotiation right now that's been negotiating on for a while and if it would have saved me one night of one night of sleep a sleepless night um i would have uh, appreciated that but and, the and, and just just a real quick was that also that kind of um haphazard treatment that you got treated was that also applied to jaime's family as well yes jaime's family was kept uh, still kept in the dark so much initially they kept trying to keep us apart they didn't want me to talk to them. And it, 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 even at one point in D.C., we were in the same room and they were trying to keep us apart. It was trying to keep me from talking to his brothers and his parents. Um, they didn't want us to, to make the connection. And we eventually did. I, I had contact with the Zapatas. They're, they're not doing very well. Their, their, their family has, has been damaged uh yep. terribly his brothers are in bad shape and, and it's all because of this mm. and yes they've never the, they had such a hard time getting Jaime's insurance money uh initially ice wasn't going to pay for the funeral eventually i think they reimbursed them for some of that money it is it is just despicable with the treatment <laughs> that they've gotten as well 
and they so, lost their son. So, so, and and you're telling me. So, the interesting thing is, okay, no investigation, no punishments, no policy changes, no macro government posture changes towards Mexico, towards the cartels. Um, no military action, no Delta Force like they did, you know, in um, in '85, and then even just to just criminally to bring just the guys who did it, this incident murdered Jaime to justice. Even that, again, we spoke about it on Tuesday, and you know, I've heard it, it was very much DEA that actually pushed it because they were pissed off, they were scared about their agents. But even that, the government wasn't so keen to going after. And then you're saying even once you had the trial, they were very much not aggressive. The U.S. attorney almost didn't even seem like he was on the prosecuting side. I mean, am I, am I getting that picture right? Absolutely right, and uh, and I'll and, and you'll know why because the the recommendation. Um, so let me tell you real quick, uh, of the seven defendants, five pled guilty to murder and attempted murder and attempted murder of a internationally protected person, mm-hmm. uh, which was me, the diplomat. It's, it's a different charge that automatically, automatically on the, uh, statutorily or under the sentencing guidelines calls for life imprisonment. You're at the end of the, at the end of the bottom of the chart. And the other two defendants, they didn't say a word, and they went to trial. That's the trial I went to in the summer of, of 2017 in D.C. and testified. And that was the very first time I was able to give my testimony as to what happened. And I, 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 I talked a lot about they, they didn't bring a lot about the weapons. They didn't allow me to talk a lot about the weapons. They didn't want to focus on that. The government didn't want that to be the focus. We talked we talk mostly about the assignments and the shooting um, and the role of each uh, of the shooters that day. So the two that went to trial were found guilty of all these charges, and they were sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. Well, if you go, go online, they did a big press release, and it was this really nice uh, statement from the U.S. Attorney's Office and I saying we got them, you know. They, they got two consecutive life sentences. But if you try to Google right now what happened with the other five, I can't find it. Nowhere in the Internet can I see that the other five defendants charged with the exact same charges. And the only difference being is that they pled guilty and they cooperated, quote unquote, with the government. And let me tell you, as an agent and a person that, uh, that has worked with uh, confidential informants, and made deals with government uh, with uh, the U.S. attorneys. I understand how that works. I understand perfectly. I understand that charges are sometimes dropped. Charges are sometimes lowered. I understand that. In this case, it didn't merit. They killed the U.S. agent in in a foreign country, and I don't care who they gave up. Maybe they would have given up Chapel. Maybe I would have said, okay, these guys need a break. But they didn't give up anything. Any, any major Zetas guy. Nothing. No, nothing significant that would merit what they call a 5K departure. Uh, it's just uh, the 5K is just the, the citing and the sentencing guidelines that they all got deported from life. So the sentences were 35, 30, 35, 34, 28, um, 25, and 12 years. And Who's the guy who got the 12? You, the guy that got the 12 is always, almost going to be out. This is the guy that wasn't present and did the, uh, uh, he helped them out once they got 
after the shooting, they went to a place there in San Luis Potosí where they gathered. This is the guy that helped hide him and abate him. He got 12 years. That guy, because of, of his cooperation, brought the government, the U.S. government, brought him and his family to the United States almost immediately because he was under threat of being killed. And they put him up in an apartment paying for all their services. <laughs> and yet when I went to trial and we were going to be there for about two weeks, I had a very, very difficult time having the government pay for my family to go to the, to go to the trial. As a matter of fact, I paid most of the expenses. They, um, they, uh, the U S marshals paid because I was a witness. They had a fund for that. But I ended up. But, but, but again, but again, as if you're just a witness in a trial, meaning not a federal agent who was almost gunned down the line of duty together with one who was. So true, so true. That kind of I lost that identity. I kind of have to remind people that uh, I had never been a victim, and I had never been. I've testified in federal court many, many times, and I struggled with that because now I wasn't on the stand as a federal employee representing the government. I was on the stand as a victim of a crime. And I was I was okay with that. I, I came to terms with that, but then, but then the the whole my whole career was ignored. Um, and I'll tell you this quick story because it is so uh, it just was so devastating to me. The victim witness coordinator. And one day, we were in the audience watching one of the uh, the hearings, and the defendant came in the courtroom, and she pointed to my she was sitting behind me, and she pointed to my shoulder, and she said, "Victor, those are the defendants in the blue jumpsuits." And I turned around and I looked and I was so upset. And I said, I know they tried to kill me. And you, you, you recognize the faces right away. One of them I did. Uh-huh. One of them I did. But the, the uh, disrespect of my, my experience as a law enforcement officer, I've been in the court hundreds, maybe thousands of times. And she's explained to me like I'm five years old of what a defendant wears in the jumpsuit and where, uh, you know, exactly what you're bringing out is the entire time from head to toe is like th- th- this is the whole point. It wasn't treated like you would ever think it would be treated with a federal agent. Be- it, it, look, Victor, let's just call a spade a spade. OK, I think just to draw a contrast here, if you had a group of like, I don't know, neo-Nazi white supremacist militia inside of America that got ticked off at the government and gunned down some FBI agents, okay? The ones who survived that, uh, yeah, I think we could imagine it would have gone very differently. Yeah, and uh, uh, I uh, I sent out emails. I uh, the, the By the way, the people that showed up for support of the trial, it was... It, I try to get some media out there. I did a little bit of media. I tried to to bring it to light, just like you're helping me do now, because no one was going to be there. So the only people that showed up were coworkers of mine that that's, that has supported me throughout this ordeal. But no high management official uh, director from ICE or the Department of Homeland Security ever showed up. I sent a personal email to the director of investigations, giving them this this really nice invitation to show, uh, you know, a, a, show some solidarity between law enforcement and all this thing that's still going on. And this whole long email, he responded by, okay. That was his response, okay. And he never, obviously he never showed. There was no 
the director of ICE should have shown up. Maybe even the Department of Homeland Security at that time should have shown up to the trial. But they didn't. And um, it was only just co-workers that filled the courtroom and were spilled over into another courtroom because of the overflow of reporters and all this other stuff. So I, I tried personally to bring the attention to it because of the, of the nature and how important the trial was. Uh, these guys, uh, plus then the sentencing comes up. I knew the recommendations that the, that the U.S. attorney was going to bring forth, and I completely disagreed with them. They didn't care. I, I and the Zapata family, during our victim impact statement in front of the court, begged the judge to ignore, ignore the government's recommendation, which I had never done in my career. Always the government recommendation was always a pretty decent one and usually the harsher one, but not in this case. In this case, it was, these are light sentences. These were all, these guys were supposed to be in life and uh, behind bars the rest of their life. These guys are young. Victor, Victor, why? What, 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 what's your theory? I mean, I, I understand the covering up the geopolitical aspects, but I would think, like, especially if you don't want other damage, you just, the guys that you catch, the guys who actually did it, you'll hang them, right? Those guys will really go, why, what would they benefit from going light on them? All I can think of is that they were afraid of other information coming out. If they would have had, let's say, other trials, there would have been more uh-huh. opportunity for, for me to talk about the gun walking in detail, um, the treatment. I tried to get a little bit of it in there because uh, I wanted them to know that uh, the treatment of my family and I was terrible. And, and I haven't even shared, uh, uh, I have a lot of stories to, to tell you of uh, just initially from the shooting when we were dropped off in D.C. at a hotel with a phone and say, here you go, call us with whatever you need. Um, you know, I initially showed up from Houston to El Paso in scrubs because the, the surgeon in, in Houston, I didn't have any clothes. My clothes were full of blood and torn up. <laughs> and, and so and, you, you, and, and everything was evacuated. It's not like you had time to pack. So absolutely. So I tell, I tell this story. I tell, imagine you left your home this morning and you're never going back ever, ever. You left. As it was, our apartment in Mexico City stayed as is. My wife was given an hour to pack a bag. Well, it was snowing in D.C. in February. And the weather in, in, in Mexico City was 72 degrees. We we're wearing shorts and short sleeve shirts. So my kids needed jackets. They needed school supplies. They needed to be enrolled in school. And guess what? They couldn't get enrolled in school because we came from Mexico and they needed special vaccinations that we could get into that right now. Oh, no. And no. You, you, come on. Come on. You didn't have to do that to me. No. <laughs> As I'm we're talking exactly. about people coming in from Ebola-prone countries and they let them These go are, in San Diego and San, San Antonio. Correct. Oh, jeez. We are U.S. citizens. Uh, we have oh, all our no. But my kids were not going to enroll until they got additional <laughs> in, uh, oh, in Virginia to get into school. My wife and I had to, I was in a wheelchair and crutches looking for an apartment to live and it finally found one. And I fought with my personnel office in headquarters with the ICE office to get them to reimburse uh, these expenses. I remember standing in my in crutches at the, uh, the, the person in charge of the money in her office crying, crying. And she telling me that there was, and I hate this term, 
there is no funding mechanism to reimburse me because there's no because it wasn't in the books. I said, well, having an agent killed in the line <laughs> of duty in another country is not in the books either. But it happened. <laughs> they just didn't know what to do. They didn't have the policy. They didn't. They weren't prepared. And I ended up being the guinea pig suffering, and I got the short short end of the stick, to say the least. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I want to move things along. Um, gosh, time goes by too fast here. Just, just one thing I want to point out to the audience: as uh, in 2011, at that moment, the ICE director was John Morton. Many of you might remember yeah. the Morton memos. He is the guy who originally wrote the amnesty. So again, lawlessness begets lawlessness. Imagine saying we're not enforcing immigration law against such and such people anymore. Um, unbelievable. Um, but again, an agent protecting America from danger of, you know, foreign national crimes. Uh, yeah, he's expendable. Um, what else did you learn from the trial in 2017? What else came out that, that you know, was, was um, surprising or important or that begs more questions? More questions. Uh, less answers, more cover-up, more than what we thought it was going to be. I thought, okay, you know what? The trial, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, re the responses from all these FOIA requests, well, there, it's an ongoing investigation. And it's an ongoing, and you've heard this all the time, it's an ongoing investigation and we can't talk about it. Well, it wasn't ongoing anymore. It's done. It's been done. The, the, the defendants have been sentenced. It's over. And so I thought, okay, here we get to now get everything that we've been asking for, but it, it's actually been even worse. And, and you're right. We thought with the new administration, we would hope we were hoping to automatically start getting all these documents, but now hopefully with the, the changes in personnel in there, because there was a lot of uh, Obama personnel holdovers for the first couple of years. So, so and, I, I, uh, you know, for sure there were, I, I want to go through some of the, um, no, just just some of the things we know from the trial that I think are important, and then you just add add to that. So, you know, at the time, I could understand the government thinking, "Yeah, this was likely a botched cartel operation." They thought it was, you know, a rival cartel member because they saw, you know, a fancy uh, armored subur suburban, and then they all they stepped in, and it was another federal agent. Even then, it should have warranted major investigation, and everything, but. Isn't it true that in the trial that came out, if there were any doubts before, which probably the government knew before that it wasn't the case, but um, very clearly that they, the Zetas knew that these were federal agents and they attacked anyway. Isn't that what came out of the trial? Yes, they knew that we were Americans. They testified. The, the defendants, the ones that pled guilty, testified to hearing me yell at them that I was an American, that Jaime and I were American, that we were U.S. diplomats from the U.S. Embassy. That that was totally clear. And they ignored that and still uh, shot. The, their defense was, well, um, they, they, they kind of became rogue at that point from the Zetas organization, and they took it upon themselves to shoot and kill us. And that was uh, that was what the order came down for, and to kind of excuse the higher the higher uh, level of uh, Zeta members, which I think is it's just uh, ridiculous. But um, <laughs> it's not; it wasn't a carjacking. 
I've never been able to to officially know. All I've heard is, uh, you know, what people have talked to me about, but there was word that there was possibly someone in the U.S. Embassy that might have tipped them off that we were um, oh, on oh, that road. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, oh my gosh, okay. Victor, so... I, 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 I wasn't sure whether to go there, but as, as you know, some of our listeners asked me that because uh, are you familiar with Extortion 17 in Afghanistan, um, te- uh, the Tango Valley, uh, where we lost um, two dozen SEAL Team 6 members? Um, ex- it was right right after, a um, couple months after SEAL Team 6 killed Obama. Uh, no, sorry, I'm not Osama. Osama. Um, Osama bin Laden and amazingly amazingly wait a minute holy smokes I'm just thinking that was that was l- let me just get my computer here that was August 6 2011 this is a, a, very interesting around the same time mm-hmm. so again just real briefly and I don't want to hijack you here but I'm just thoughts are coming together and I want to get your thought on it so that was another scenario and it was a lot more tragic just because of the amount of people where before, during, and after made no sense. Like sometimes the government could just botch things up. But the, the chances of them sending you on an insane mission, knowing the problems that don't, the whole mission doesn't make sense. What happened during it doesn't make sense. The cover up afterwards is insane. People start asking, wait a minute. And this is what people are asking about extortion 17. And this much I do feel comfortable um, speculating about. So they were sent on a random mission. They packed. Um, uh, it, it was it was there was a total of 30 people who died in there. It was I think it was 17 SEALs, a couple of other special operators, then a couple of um, just regular troops on a fl- what they called a flying coffin. It was an old Chinook Vietnam helicopter instead of a special operations helicopter. Never, ever sent that way. They were sent right into a kill zone. It's not even clear why they were sent. Every step of the way doesn't make sense. I mean, there's there's a list of 100 unanswered questions. I really maybe, – maybe if we have time on the show in August for the um, eighth anniversary, we'll talk about this. But, but, but 17 SEAL Team 6 guys were killed just – you know, weeks after they killed um, Osama bin Laden, it makes no. And you look at the whole thing—the cover-up and the black box is gone. And like, it almost leads you with no. I, I don't want to say this, and and maybe there's other outcomes, but you would almost think the government did them in, meaning not like they made a mistake and then they just want to cover it up. Like worse than that, I don't know, and I hope it's not the case. But this reminds me of that, and a lot of people were asking me. They're like, no, you guys must go. Well, well, what's the rush? Um, oh, so well, well, what's the deal? I don't know. Um, but it doesn't the State Department argue against going on this? Who cares? Go. And then afterwards, you see, no one wants to find out. You're pushed out. I, I, I mean, it, it, does the thought go through your mind that I mean, is there someone dirty? Yeah, it, it, it definitely. And and I want to make it clear, I don't have any evidence. I don't have sure. proof of that of that statement. But I did hear that directly from uh, a couple of sources that there was possibly someone that tipped them out that we we're going to be on that road. And keep in mind, they, this assignment, just the way it happened, um, it, it, it was so awkward in the sense that we, me and Jaime especially, had nothing to do 
with this case and this equipment, although we always help each other in the, in, in investigative investigations, you're always briefed. You know, when you're going to go do an, a search warrant or an arrest warrant, you have to go to the briefing. They say it, they call it in law enforcement before you can go play. If you're not present at the briefing, you cannot be present at the enforcement activity. Yep. And I was never briefed. This, this equipment thing was going on for weeks before I was notified on that Monday. They, 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 I, have, I have some emails where they're talking about it and, and we need this equipment and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm in any of those. I, I, I received those emails afterwards. They sent me those emails just to kind of show to people that I wasn't briefed. I didn't know what it was about. I, hadn't, I, I wasn't involved in it. And especially Jaime, who was a TDY agent, um, just in the country for a little over a week, I think, and and then and then just send them with me. We were not the original agents to go, and I not, not to say that I wanted someone else to get hurt. I never want to say that, but it it the switch happened. Something happened. Um, other agents couldn't go for whatever for whatever reason, and then they kind of said, "Hey, why don't you just send Victor and, and the new guy?" And <clears throat> that's how blatant and and um, disregard for safety was that day. Um, and then on top of that, it was a covert. People say, well, are you undercover? Not officially undercover, but it's, it's a covert operation. I mean, no one's supposed to really know that we're on there. I mean, we're going to take care of this and come back and we're not out there displaying, you know, who we are. And, um, and they obviously knew that we were on that road that day. I mean, I'm just saying, because that's what, because logistically, that's very tough to time. That's what I was wondering. You said you saw the cop out there who might have been a cartel guy randomly in the median. And, and like, you know, th there's one thing that the cartel members they track them all the time so you know you have all these you know the scenes in the movies where they box them in and have exactly what they did to you and you know get them on the road because they're tracking them but but how they would know that i mean when this all originated from top secret stuff from the embassy with okay. with federal agents there I mean, you know, again, if it were just the fact that, that they testified that they made a mistake, so you could say, hey, maybe it was, they didn't know about it, but it was afterwards, you stopped at the subway, a cartel guy happened to see that, hey, you know, who is this guy with this Suburban? But the fact that they killed him, even though they knew you guys were, were Americans, that that's another piece of evidence to me that more indicates that it was known from the beginning to have people stationed there. The, the way uh, it happened from the initial stop to the shooting and this shooting was, uh, you know, law enforcement shootings last seconds and, and they're, they're done pretty quick in, in a general sense. This shooting took a long time. We were there for maybe a, the whole thing, maybe uh, over two minutes, which is in, in law enforcement world shootings is extremely long. And the way that was executed and you look at the, the total circumstances re, uh, surrounding it, th this was their goal. This was the, this was their mission. It, it, it didn't, they didn't, they didn't see a uh, suburban. Oh, well, well, who's that guy? Or what, what is that suburban? You know, the suburban yeah. armor suburban, it does look different. And they could have said, Oh, well, let's, let's go see, right. Let's go, let's go take it. Well, they control that area. Let's go take it down and, and let's go sure. get it. And then, and then immediately, oh, wait, wait a minute. This is not, okay, this is not who we think it is, or this is not, this is not viable for us to set us to take this car. We, we, we pulled over the wrong car, per se, and let them go on their way. And maybe, and then and they say, hey, there's, 
U.S. law enforcement on the road and they could do their intelligence or whatever. But that was not that was not the intention. The evil in, in the Zeta cartel's faces from the get go yeah. as a law enforcement officer, as a trained uh, interrogator and all my experience, these guys were focused on doing what they did. And, and, and Victor, this is what is indefensible and such a scandal about the government and why I call it the Mexican Benghazi. Because here's the deal. You and I both know they don't give a damn about the cartels bringing in drugs, criminals who wind up killing plenty of Americans, um, all sorts of problems, the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, the labor trafficking. I mean, so much that goes on in all 50 states is because of them, is because of the people they bring in. I mean, again, I just uh, had it from ICE ERO field director in Santa Clara and Northern uh, California. Just in Santa Clara County alone, I just put out an article on this. There were 176 detainers lodged against aliens Mm -hmm. in two Mm -hmm. months in one county. It's an average of three a day. And of them, 108 had prior detainers that were ignored. That the I mean, so the amount of but our government doesn't care. We 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 get that. I, I loud and clear. But you, you, but you are going to see on that point. You, you're going to see crime waves, and you're going to see them spike in these towns that have never seen them. No, and, and I understand because, that. I understand that. And I understand, that, and we yeah. talk about that, and that our government doesn't care. I get that because, but but the thought was that it's, yeah, it's cartel on cartel. Even though residually they get their people and they kill Americans too, but cartel on cartel. That's been always, you know, that's the line. Yeah, cartel on cartel violence. Yeah, but once it came out in the trial, to me, this is the most important thing that they directly they targeted Americans. So this immunity that they thought, yeah, we don't have to worry. They're not going to target agents. To me, this has the biggest bearings in the here and now, nine years later, eight years later, that you have agents in the uh, border agents, in particular in the most precarious situations. You also have DEA and HSI and all sorts of agents, FBI, in precarious situations in Mexico. Particularly the yeah. Zetas, but also CDN has gotten very violent. Jalisco has gotten very violent. And each one's yeah. trying to up the other one. And you look at how we now have two incidents. One, there's a complete media blackout on, government blackout, where active duty soldiers on our side of the border were attacked right now. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's very clear that each one's going to try to re-up the other one, that on some level – they will now, not just as a mistake, directly target, and certainly, even if it's not at direct orders, like you're saying, the lower-level cartel guys, if they feel they need to do it, they will directly attack Americans. To me, like, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying, like, I could hear in their way of thinking, eh, there's nothing to investigate. Cartel and cartel, they made a mistake. They thought it was a rival. It was a screw-up. Nothing to investigate. But it's not the case. No, no, and... uh and man, that we could we could talk hours about about what's going on. They are becoming more violent, if you can believe that. They're extremely violent already, but they they are trying to up one another because of the controls of the territories and the plazas, and 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 the the influx of these Central Americans, and not just Central Americans, by the way, people from all over the world are now hearing, hey, this going through Mexico because we'll get we'll get into these groups and get in and seek asylum. And the the only people that are benefiting, other than the obviously the illegals coming in here, are the cartels. Initially, when the caravan started happening a couple of years ago, 
and these large groups came together, they were kind of protecting each other and they came up to the border without having to pay anything or any smuggling fee or anyone. The cartel quickly put an end to that. They said, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. You, if you're coming into their territory, we're going to take you up to the border patrol and turn you in, but you're going to pay and you're going to pay by, uh, they're going to rape the girls. They're going to have some of the, some of the, uh, Caravaners, the the guys commit crimes for them. They've killed the cartels. Have killed uh, Central Americans already that that oppose their their orders. There's all this stuff going on, but now now they they increased in territory, increased in control, increased in all that uh, that whole northern border of Mexico with the yep. United States. In that you have to, if you want to, if you're a Cuban. If you're anyone trying to traffic human drugs, anything through there, it's going to go through the cartels. Now they're bringing them in. These thousands of people at once, now they're not showing up by themselves. They're bringing in under the control of the cartels. And by the way, while all that is going on over here and, and, and Border Patrol is is uh, taking them to hospitals and escorting them and feeding them and, and doing all the other stuff, they're still doing their smuggling ventures on the other end. They're still doing their human trafficking and exploitation. They're still doing the drug trafficking. They're, all that's still going on even more so now. And you see some of these yep. seizures of, of fentanyl and, and, and pills and, and heroin and that, that's increased because they are taking advantage that there's this distraction. Some of the checkpoints are closed in the United States. Closed. 62180 in El Paso and New Mexico is closed. They're having a field day driving. Once it's in the U.S., that's another second layer of enforcement that the U.S. has with these border patrol checkpoints. Well, some of these are closed. They're, they're, they're just they're coming in. They're driving it as freely as uh, as anything, and um, it is just a. Uh, it's almost hard to explain to people that do not know, and sometimes I think Congress, even though they know, ignore it. Why nothing is getting done in Washington D.C. It all ties together. It all ties together, doesn't it, Victor? It's it's all that when it comes to illegal immigration and anything that's tied into it, which inextricably is the cartels, it's a no-fly zone. I will tell you, I had an agent tell me – so I asked the agent, the border agent, the following question. I said, so we all know that they're strategically shoving the Central Americans, the first-timers at – the agents knowing to tie them up and they strategically bring in either their contraband, the cartel people that need to get back and forth weapons. Um, but then also the SIAs and the t- people who pay more money that they have to be smuggled right. in clandestinely, like people yeah. with an Interpol hit people with um, convictions in America. So I said, I asked them a question. I said, I know we know these are coming in, but why is it that we also do see everyday CBP puts out press releases that they still do, catch people not just like trying to evade and they happen to successfully catch them but even just openly in the groups of a hundred surrendering that downright have an interpol hit they have a, a sex offense conviction in america previously deported i'm like aren't they terrified why would why wouldn't they just you know try to get smuggled in and he told me that no it's so bad in addition to those being smuggled in they have a rule that that they will only prosecute if 
within 48 hours from the moment they catch them at the line until all the processing to get them to the AUSA to prosecute them. Otherwise, after that time, they will not prosecute them. So you're seeing a bunch of people. They could have a freaking Interpol hit out on them. They could have been deported and served time for sex offenses in America. Some of them they get to and will prosecute, put out a press release. Some of them are getting released. Some of them are yep. getting released yep. openly. Absolutely. It, and, it is, and, re- and remember the space, the space too. Everybody else is taking up the bed spaces. The the family units, the, all the other uh, uh, people are taking up the bed spaces. That when you need a space for the bad guy, well, it's not available. It's already taken, and that's another reason that AUSA will decline and and, and let them go. Yeah, process them. Yeah, fingerprint them. Yeah, identify them and do everything that you do. But eventually, it's it catch and release. I, and he's being released back into the country. I, and, I mean, uh, there's I, a I'm, lot of people with deportation orders walking around. A lot of people. It, it, well, well that, that's a whole nother thing. It's like, to me, ICE is the greatest agency alive. It's the most important agency in the history of law enforcement. Why do I say that? Because and, and, and look, you know, don't take this personally, Victor, but I'm specifically talking about ICE ERO. Even yeah, though they're, they're yeah. treated like garbage, but really they're the most important. And here's why. I cannot think of legally, logistically, and policy-wise anything where you could get more bang for your buck than ICRO. Because anything else with America, as we as we spoke about, we don't convict and lock up anyone. Heck, even Zetas assassins, we don't give them life. So everyone's out. It's impossible to land a conviction. Even when you do, they plead down. They're out soon enough. We know that most crim- criminals are career criminals. It's the it's the ten doing the ninety. It's it's the recidivism, right? So it's that history. If what if I told you? There's an entire group of foreign criminals, very saturated, from very violent areas, young males, gang members from Mexico, Central America, assaults, DUIs, drug trafficking, you name it, you name it, that you could get them tomorrow and those agents could get them out. They don't have to land a conviction. They could get them out of the universe of America. And then all of their subsequent crimes will all have been eliminated. Their entire you – know, you take a 20-year-old El Salvadoran gang punk that is arrested on drug trafficking or DUI. All the subsequent things that he's going to do. I want to reiterate again from Eric Esponner, acting field officer – um, director of ICE's Northern California office, exclusively given to conservative review. I interviewed him. Bambi Larson was killed in Santa Clara County a couple months ago by a man named, allegedly, Carlos Eduardo Arivalo Carranza, a 24-year-old El Salvadoran. This man was arrested 10 times for attacking a police officer, kidnapping, drugs, battery, burglary, you name it. Santa Clara County ignored seven ICE detainers. Uh, LA County ignored three on him. And he then and he was let out, wasn't given over, and he went on to kill Bambi Larson. A hundred percent blood on their hands, hundred percent avoidable. Americans, unfortunately, we don't give a damn anymore. We don't lock up anyone. Oh 
Daniel, we lock up people for too long. No, we don't. We don't lock up anyone anymore. Forget about burglary, assault. American will be out in a minute. But an illegal, it's not that it's more immoral if they convict it, if they, if they do it. It's from a public policy standpoint, it is totally avoidable, totally, totally avoidable because you could just get them out and deport them. But they didn't do it. So, okay, now they're going to have a cathartic experience and change. No. Santa Clara County, five to zero votes that they're not even going to notify ICE while they're releasing, yeah. much less not release them. So this guy tells me just in the two months that they were debating this measure, 176 illegals have been um, released in defiance of ICE detainers, and they themselves have committed those crimes based on previous 108 ignored ICE detainers that and, and he told me here's the quote I just want to get this to you and I'm sorry for running off on a tangent you just no, got me off of it no. it's today's column um, I'm going to link to it in show notes um, let me just get this here from from Mr. Bonner and and of course these guys get treated these ICRO guys get treated like garbage um, yeah. where is this and I'm losing the, the, the thing here I'm just all over the map here I want to get the exact quote he said the aggregate crimes committed by these individuals, these 176, who are at least in defiance of ICE detainers, include assault with a deadly weapon, obstructing police, possession of drugs for sale, domestic violence, robbery, indecent exposure, participation, participation in criminal street gang, and arson. Every one of them. Tomorrow, you hire more ERO guys and you fulfill the law. They're out of here. Again, nothing personal against HSI, but you put all these agents on a year-long investigation of IP fraud and uh, you know currency stuff. What do you – I mean I could get you the most – thousands of the most violent people out of here tomorrow. Sorry for the rant. <laughs> Daniel, I agree with you 100%. And even HSI is being affected by because of that directly in their criminal investigations that the state and locals don't want to work with them because they associate them so directly with ERO that that they're being affected in their criminal investigations. But I do agree with this, that initially as a surge, HSI has obviously the same authorities that ERO has and, and then some. Get them all. There's 6,000 agents. Deport. HSI Deport. Agents. Let's get them all. Let's get them all, and let's get all the agents in get, to enforce get, and remove. We the don't need to invest. And look, I, I want to know pushback against me if you disagree. And I'm not trying to say that there's no purpose for HSI at all, distinct from ERO. But I just don't understand. And 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 this audience is mature enough and smart enough to get into these details. No other show will do this. But I think this is important that. HSI is really running ICE right now. The ERO is viewed as a bunch of prison warden schleppers. We're agents. We're 1811s. We care. You know, and what I understand is this. Americans, you need to investigate because you got to get the details if you, you got to prosecute them. These guys, just get them out of the country. Just get them out. You need more bodies to remove them. It's a vital, it's the most noble work, ERO work. It is the most noble work. We have DEA. We have FBI doing investigations. I, I just it really bothers me that more that they refuse to do immigration work. Yep. You get the most bang yep. for your buck. I could get thousands, thousands of rapists, murderers, robbers. I mean, and here's the deal. It's current law passed in 1996 unanimously by the Senate. 
expedited removal, if you cannot prove to the satisfaction of an immigration officer that you have resided here consecutively for two years illegally, then you are removed and that removal is not is unreviewable by an immigration judge. The determination that you're put into ERO, ER is, unre, is unreviewable. The determination that you haven't been here for two years by that officer, if it's approved by his superior at ICE, is unreviewable. When, 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 when some of my colleagues say, Daniel, Congress needs to act. And look, they are derelict. I don't know what law you want to pass that is stronger than I or I are on the books. We have a lawless country. The only laws we enforce are against the American people. Yes, yes, and uh, and I agree that uh, HSI has their role as well, and um, those investigations need to continue. They do a lot of good work. I, they just did a huge uh, seizure. Uh, they do a lot of the work side enforcement that is starting to come up. Yeah, that's uh, good. That's trying, good. Try, yeah, trying to uh, focus on the employers and. And so, um, yeah, there's this big uh, confusion and, and it's all convoluted because of, uh, of ICRO and their duties. But it's so frustrating with, uh, with these sanctuary cities. It, it is, um, I, I can't understand as a law enforcement officer why they would release them. And sometimes yeah. it just seems because it's out of spite, just because they hate our president. Oh, it, it is. It uh, is out of spite. But I'm, I'm just saying HSI, some of their career guys are are playing into the hands of they're making a sanctuary agency because, you know, they're basically saying, yeah, immigration work is dirty. So, and, and, and you're right. You gave some good examples of how the two go together. You want them investigating MS-13. You want them investigating employers and labor trap, but get it back to that. When I see today, I just saw put out by ice. Where is this? Um, ICE names new IPR center director to lead government's response to IP threats. I mean, I get it, but like we got the FBI. I mean, we we need immigration work. And I'll tell you why that, because FBI, uh, IPR has now kind of come almost totally under HSI because FBI let let that go because they're just concerned and, and focused now on terrorism. And so yep. a lot of the, the, the duties that FBI did just 15 years ago um, has, uh, has now all become to terrorism-related. And so the IPR Center under HSI Homeland Security has grown, and, and they do good work. I, I, I do say that. But right now, it, I, I, I see your point. I hear it. I, I just think that there's the too much. Right now is different, right? M- m- meaning is, uh, sometimes it's – Victor, sometimes it's worthy – but I, I fear that there are times that they're just doing it because they want to shed the the ICE label and the immigration label from them, and they're looking for everything they can do that's not immigration. I'm not saying there aren't times it's worthy, but I fear there's some of that going on. A lot of that going on within the agency, even from from the beginning, from the beginning, from the merger. I mean, the 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 old INS investigators just uh, and the old U.S. Customs investigators fought back dramatically and pushed back when the they were forced to all of a sudden um, start doing immigration investigations. I went from a narcotics group as a, as a two-year agent, uh, two and a half to three years, and on one Friday afternoon, my supervisor left a memo uh, on my chair saying, as of Monday, you're going to a human smuggling, human trafficking group. I fought it. I was one of those agents. <laughs> like, what, what, 
what what the heck did I do to deserve this? And sure, I, I and, and that was the chaos of merging cr- the creation of DHS and you take customs from the, the Treasury Department right. and and this yeah. and that and you mix it together and like we're, we're, we we have nothing to do with the INS and I get that. But now that we have ICE and it's 15 years later, it's time yeah. to get with the program and they need to say, hey, buddy, you know, you're going to be doing immigration work, this amount of HSI, and if you don't like it, yep. find a different job and let's hire more ERO. I agree. Um, uh, I embraced it. I learned it. Uh, human trafficking became my specialty. And um, I did a lot of those good investigations. And, and, and I think more HSI agents need to to get on board with that, for sure. So I, I want to just take it back. We're going overtime. And folks, I'm giving you a little bit more of a show today because I'm going to be out on Monday. Um, I, I want to just bring it back to you personally more. Again, culminating everything we're saying together, what, what scares me hearing your story is this. Initially, I figured it was all just the gun running, that that's why they were so visceral to cover up, not investigate, treat you like an inconvenient survivor. But from what you're telling me, and, and again, this is pure conjecture at this point and, and, and uh, speculation, it's a little bit too much for that because that was already known. It got out the gun running scandal. Um I'm really scared. Everything you're telling me that 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 it could could be there, there's more dirty people than you know. Because here's what I do know: I do know that on the American side of the border, the Rio Grande Valley and many border areas are corrupt as hell. They're bought out by the Gulf Cartel. They're bought out by the cartels. You see this every day with the politicians, even sheriffs. Unfortunately, among the very oh, good yeah. sheriffs, they're corrupt. You see this in Border Patrol. Overwhelming majority of Border Patrol, the greatest people you'll ever meet. But I mean, look, uh, you know this, that there's protocols of stuff they won't put out on the radio, not just because of the cartels, but because, you know, the FBI is investigating some border agents. There's a problem because in certain areas, they take Border Patrol as civilians from that area and that those areas have strong cartel influence. And this has been a longstanding problem. Um, you certainly oh, understand yeah. that culturally you want people to speak the language. But on the other hand, like anything, right. it's the same thing in the Middle East. You don't know who's with you. You vet them, but you can make mistakes. We have that in Border Patrol. So if you're telling me we have ICE, HSI, and the same thing with FBI, DEA, and embassy staff in Mexico itself, I mean, to me, it's not much of a stretch that you could have dirty agents. I don't know who else knew. I don't know who else knew at that office other than my HSI office and maybe, maybe, obviously the RSO didn't know, uh, but who knows who else within the and i'm not saying it was the hsi office that did this but it, it could have been anyone there within the embassy to that information yeah and um and you talk about the corruption one of my, my the biggest case in my career is i did uh, a corrupt uh an, uh an investigation against a corrupt border patrol agent that was allowing um illegal aliens through the checkpoint yes. there in uh in, te- in texas new mexico again I, I don't like I talking did. about that it's very uncomfortable but it, it yeah. does exist. You know, it is. And, it and, does. and it's not just like, oh, you know, anyone. I mean, from any local law enforcement to military, you're always going to have bad apples that get through. But there right. is a particular concern. There's a particular problem with the cartels and the cross-pollination where the borderline gets very murky in our country. Um, very po- true, very politically true. in they Texas, get, yeah. Dan, some of these some of these recruits are recruited. They're they're young. They have clean backgrounds. They're recruited directly from the cartel to join Border Patrol 
to go to the academy and come back to wherever they get wow. stationed to work for them. So that, that that's happened before. And, and that's in America. Uh, so you're telling me, I mean, that's you're, in America, sit- that's in the US. you're yeah. sitting there in Mexico City, you know, in their home turf, and you've got a multitude of agencies operating out of um, the embassy. I, I mean, to me, putting everything together, again, it's, it's supposition, but I think it's an educated concern. Um, and that's, that's a horse of a different color. If an agent got killed, not just because of a gun running scandal, but because their, their, uh, information was leaked out, because I I will tell you, even if nothing ever comes out, I will go to my grave being certain that we lost almost an entire squad of SEAL Team 6 because the Taliban knew they were... That is clear. They knew they were coming there. They knew they were coming at that moment. Who tipped them off and the details? You know, that it's, it's, there's just theories out there and I don't want to speculate on that, but, but it's clear they knew. And I think that, that this... To me, it's very eerie because it reminds me of that very, very much. And it's funny, it happened uh, that same year. Um, I'm not saying it was connected. I mean, that was military uh, out in CENTCOM, you know, very different, but um, it is a concern. You really wonder what our government is doing if we're doing enough to vet that out um, among the most sensitive agencies working in the most dangerous theaters. And Mexico should be considered such a theater. That's what really scares me. What what scares me right now, even more than agents in Mexico, which which is a problem. If you're Joe Schmo, border patrol agent, working in the brush at the river at night, are we really certain that the cartels are so adverse to killing Americans that they're going to police all their lower level people and ensure they don't kill Americans? Um, I think your experience demonstrates no, and sometimes if it warrants it, they'll directly target them. And I think the fact that they did not see a military response or even a policy change and even investigation from that one agent, I don't think they're deterred from that. I'll give you and the part final of, word. Part of, part of me doing what I what I do now and and, and trying to even though it's eight years later, and believe me, the first part of the first few years, I was I was uh, completely prohibited from talking to anyone. Um, is is to try to avoid that happening again, and getting our our diplomats and our U.S. agents assigned abroad to hopefully not not ever happen again, to never get hurt again. And that's part of uh, I think as a survivor, my duty is to go out there and educate people and let them know that yes, we do have these these people out there trying to protect our homeland. And uh, and hoping that that this tragedy never happens to anybody else. No, for sure. I mean, it, it it's it's so much mixed in one. And even though this happened so long ago, like you said, you couldn't even talk until fairly recently. And um, I really think it it has more uh, bearings on what's going on today than than even at the time it happened. Um, it is just, you know, there's one thing you'd think, okay, the government's like screw Zapata, screw Avila, you know. Yeah, I mean, we don't want anything getting out there, but quietly, at least you would hope. All right, I mean, if you don't care about them, but just you'll quietly put policies in place to, heck, uh, we got to make sure this doesn't happen again. But that's what scares me, that you know, even quietly, there was no effort to uh, 
holy hell, we're, we're operating in a new era where the cartels will, you know, they might go after our agents, not just by mistake. Um, what are we doing to change that? And I'm, try- I, I'm trying, I'm, I'm still trying. And I still, uh, there's a couple of avenues there where uh, I'm getting them to, to get that investigation going to internally, at least under DHS OIG. I've been, you know, trying to get with Congress to, I was always trying to get a hearing or, or, or either on the Senate uh, committee or the House Homeland City, uh, Security Committee to to have a, 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 a full-blown hearing and get all these people to come and answer questions. Uh, it's very, very difficult to get that done. And uh, uh, I'm also trying to to get DHS OIG involved and to look at everything. You know, there's a, there's a lot of documents out there. Yep. And so one of my goals is to, to get that going. And I believe our, our friend, Congressman Chip Roy from Texas, he is, I believe he's on the government oversight committee, the oversight committee in the house. He's minority. Um, so we'll definitely get with him. Um, I, I, I think, you know, we have maybe ways of getting to Ron Johnson's committee. He is a majority is chairman of uh, the Senate Homeland security committee. Right. So, uh, you know, yeah, we, we, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that and, um, we're going to have you back again. Uh, yeah. Hope I didn't step on some of your message there. I just, no, um, no, I, anytime you want to talk about, um, all the stuff that's going on and there's plenty to talk about and, you know, like just right now with the, with the, with, with what Mexico is doing, all of a sudden they're, they're upping their enforcement because of the tariffs. And do you buy it? All that oh my God. I, uh, I, I was, I was kind of chuckling yesterday because all of a sudden Mexico's doing all their, um, all of a sudden out of nowhere, they started freezing accounts and human trafficking accounts. And, and we're going to send troops down to the border. I'm like, why hadn't they been doing this for years? Um, but, but but isn't it true? Of of and I'm not defending the Mexican government here, but isn't it true that <sighs> it's complicated there? In other words, there's people who want to fight the cartels. There's people who are totally the cartels, and there's people who are like, "Look, you know, they control it. This is where it's at. They're violent. I'm scared. I don't see any." opposing force that's going to protect me from them and give me incentives. So yeah, I'll join with them. And that's a big part of Mexican government is kind of that middle ground. But isn't it true that if we would make it clear that we view the cartels like we view Al-Qaeda, then and and you, you're either with us or against us, that in itself will change their attitude. But in toll and unless we do that, I can't blame the Mexican government for not exactly getting the impression that we care too much. Yeah, all the above, and and that's why the designation as foreign terrorist organization is so important mm. because I think it would change the playing field. It would change the rules in our favor, and also help the government of Mexico because you're absolutely right. Sometimes the 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 good cops don't have the choice. Uh, the 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 drug cartels really control po- political the political narcos. They control aspects of not just locally there with their violence and their extortions, kidnappings and murders, but also politically. And of course we kind of uh, ignore the money laundry and the reason why they do it is for the money and the power, but it, they need uh, the, the, the mix, the good cops sometimes don't have the choice because they're overrun and overpowered by the cartels. We need to give them uh, also help them give them the tools. I agree with you there. Um, uh, they have, they have troops too. They have, they have, uh, you know, they have 
some other abilities that I think they could definitely step up for sure. It looks like they're starting to do something about that. Um, but definitely uh, we need a bigger cooperation between the two countries and to, to solve not just the illegal entry, but the organized crime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's for sure. You, again, you look at, I, I put myself in, in their shoes, these governors, these, you know, there's one thing if they saw every action of America was consistent and, and we, we treat, we treat them like the department of justice for years treated the KKK just like full out every, we're going to uproot every aspect of you. We're going to oppose you at every point. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's on the prosecution side and the America side and, and certainly, you know, you screw with us. We are we're going to you know, we're going to use the military against you. We're going to do all that stuff. It would change the entire dynamic. Then they'd be like, oh, yeah. But I mean, if they see that American agents get killed and, and it's almost like America is like a third world country and doesn't do anything about it. If you're if you're someone on the fence, whether you're a military guy, police guy, or a politician in Mexico, what are you supposed to think about that? Gee, well, yeah, I'm not going to stick my head out. I'll I'll join with them. You know, can't beat them, right. join them. Another thing that I think that is a positive, um, believe it or not, is the the media, the media exposure in Mexico. When the media exposes these cartels. It does something to them, and that's why we've seen the increase in in the killings of journalists and uh, and the censorship of the of the of the press in Mexico because now they're afraid to report it because they're afraid of their lives for their lives. And but the media does do something there. It when it, when the media gets on this organization or ahead of of a cartel. And they start exposing them, exposing them. It it forces the hand of the Mexican uh, authorities to then go after them, and and the cartels hate that exposure. They don't want it. They do want to be out of the limelight and the media. And so that's another yes. struggle that they have is is uh, uh, getting the information out. You don't see uh, as many reports as you used to. When I was in, in, there in two thousand eight, oh my God, the murders were. I mean, the way they reported them is over three to four hundred a month. And I would show up to the U.S. consulate and they had killed six people at the restaurant next door where we ate lunch. And and but it was reported. We, we, we The intelligence was out. The media was out. And and you don't see that today. It, I don't know how the percentage of how less it's reported, but it's definitely, definitely minimized on the exposure to the media. Yep. No, that's that's a big point. And again, that's where the designation, the government's focus, the president consistently talking about and even the little he talks about it, we you know, we shared together and I spoke on the show yesterday, so the audience knows about this with the Gulf cartel, one of their guys putting out uh, a letter to the president, hey, no, we're not the problem. Uh, you know, the, this governor is he's worse than us. You know, they, they, they're they strong, but they're only strong to the extent that we're weak. If we would actually focus on them, I always tell people the cartels are just as bad as the Islamic terrorists. The only difference is just theologically and just the way they are, they're not suicidal, they're homicidal. So, you know, whereas if ISIS and Al-Qaeda are on the board, they'll just openly like, yeah, we'll, we'll come after you, we'll do suicide bombings. These guys are not prepared yet to directly confront us. They're going to get bolder and bolder the more they test us and we don't react. But if we wanted to crush them now, man, they don't have the ability to deal with us. No, no, they, um, they're they powerful there. They Their intimidation tactics work. And they use that to their advantage. That's the terrorism. That's what they do. The people are afraid 
are petrified of them in these in these uh, in these populated areas in Mexico, and and they use that greatly to their advantage, knowing that no one can approach them. I mean, they're they're brazen. I mean, that 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 letter or that that uh, mantra that they put out for President Trump just shows how brazen they are. That how dare the state officials uh, charge us? <laughs> which we control the plaza. How dare they charge us for a fee to smuggle not only all these Central Americans because or the or the uh, SIAs, the special interest aliens? How dare they charge us here if we own and control this territory? They're putting this out to President Trump. It just goes to show that they, 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 in their mind and then their authority think that they own and they do. They're right. They. They control that area, knowing that the the Mexican government's not going to impose them. No, exactly. Well, anyway, this is this has been one of our longest shows. We're up to an hour and a half here. Um, thanks so much. I, I hope you know, you know, God gives you peace and your family and and the Zapata family some peace. Let's see what we can do in our own little circle to to bring some closure and exposure to this story. Um, thank you so much for joining us again. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks, folks, for listening. Um, another terrific week here. We've really gotten to accomplish a lot here in a given week. May God bless you all. God bless the memory of Jaime Zapata. Have yourself a great weekend. And I'll be out Monday, but Tuesday we'll be back in full force. Till next time, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.